nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scoured the globe with top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So everyone, welcome back to the Mad Overmind Experience. I'm your host, Master Trainer and Weight Management Expert, Narado Zico Powell. And today, of course, I have another expert for you, Carly Hayes. RDN, CD, and Nutrition Manager at Nutrisense. We're going to talk about glucose, more specifically, CGM, Continuous Glucose Monitor. Okay, see, wearing the CGM can help you understand how your body reacts to food, sleep, stress, and so many other epigenetic factors. And the dietitian coaches from our Nutrisense will also help you to make lasting changes and enjoy the process. I wear CGM from time to time. And even with myself, I realize when my blood sugar starts to pick up, when my blood sugar starts to level out. Also, it helps me to understand how much if I need to even carve up before a workout. It's really interesting the things that you can learn by wearing a CGM. Because we often think, because I've talked to people about it before and they say, well, if you're diabetic, you should wear Yeah, of course, if you're diabetic, I recommend anybody, especially, I mean, yeah, if you're diabetic, you should wear a CGM. But even the biohacking world, there are so many benefits you can find from it as well. And we're going to break all this down for you today. And of course, I have a hack for you, right? The hack is going to be what glucose hacks can we apply to our daily lives? Not just wearing a CGM, but some banging things that you can do. And with that being said, enough of me. Let's welcome Carla to the show. Hey, Carly, how you doing? Hello, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. I'm excited for this one. One of my favorites. I know for, I know already it's going to be one of my favorite uh, interviews. And with yeah. that being said, we geeked out already, but tell my audience about yourself. Awesome. Yeah, I know. We've already uh, geeked out a little bit on glucose, which I could do literally all day. But yes, like you mentioned, my name is Carly. I am a registered dietitian and a nutrition manager at a company called NutriSense. So if you have not heard of us, we are a metabolic health company and our mission is to help anyone, literally anyone, achieve their metabolic health or their health potential, right? And so we're doing that for a lot of different ways, but I think the cool thing about NutriSense and the cool thing about what I do is that we're using CGM. So just like you mentioned, continuous glucose monitors to help us achieve that. So my background, um, trained in a very traditional setting. So I was a, trained as a dietitian, uh, went to school for nutrition. And my first job in the field was a very traditional job. So I was working in an outpatient clinic and usually seeing people that had just been diagnosed with a chronic lifestyle related illness. And usually um, they would be coming to me from their doctor with a diagnosis of prediabetes or diabetes. And we know that that's really common. It's becoming more prevalent, 
but um, they'd come to me with that referral from their doctor and we'd work together to help them kind of make some changes to their diet and their lifestyle to manage their condition. And this is where I started to get frustrated, right? Why are we managing this condition? Can't we prevent this condition? And I've heard you talk about this on your show, which is amazing, right? We are in this healthcare system that's very reactionary and we're not focused on preventative health. So when we start to look into the research, we find that you know 80% of these chronic lifestyle-related conditions, such as diabetes, heart disease, you name it, can be prevented or at least delayed if we act early, if we act with um, preventative health measures. And that's where I started to do some digging on my own and I found NutriSense. I found CGM technology. And I really think that with that technology and with um, everything that we're doing at NutriSense, first of all, we have the power to change our own health, right? We can't wait until we get diagnosed in a, a doctor's office. We have the power to change that before it happens. And then the second thing we've learned is that given the right data and just a little bit of guidance from experts in the field, anyone can make a difference in their health, um, especially their metabolic health. So in my opinion, CGMs or monitoring your glucose is like the lowest hanging fruit that you can use to get there. And that's what I'm passionate about and hoping to, to kind of spread awareness on that topic any way that I can. Oh, we're definitely going to spread awareness because you know I am also passionate about the same topic. So yes. let's get this rolling. Let's talk about metabolic health. You ought to introduce it, right? Now, I think it's stats say at least 75% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy, somewhere around there. So break that down for us. What is metabolic health and why is it important? Right. And uh, yeah, I think the stat is that I've heard recently is even worse, right? So 88% of Americans are not metabolically healthy. So 12% of us are metabolically healthy. So if we take a back, step back and look at what that means, we define metabolic health, right? As having like a healthy waist circumference, having good blood pressure, having cholesterol in the right range, having um, our blood sugar within the right um, levels, and then our triglycerides within a healthy range. So all of those factors we look at to assess our metabolic health. But essentially, when we think about our metabolism, this is how our body is utilizing energy. That's really it, right? We're taking in these foods that we're eating, and how are we utilizing that? Are we using them appropriately? And what that tells me is that in some way or another, 88% of us have some sort of issue with um, you know, processing and utilizing that energy. So what we can do if we want to improve our metabolic health is look at that energy itself. And that's where glucose comes in, right? Glucose is our other vital sign. If we think about blood sugar, if we think about glucose, this is a metabolic substrate that our body is utilizing to literally fuel our bodies, fuel our cells. And that's what keeps us energized throughout the day. So when we start to look at metabolic health and optimizing that, um, that's really, like I mentioned, like the lowest hanging fruit that we can manipulate, measure, um, to assess how we're utilizing that energy. And then if we're not doing well, right? I always think of this as, you know, if we look at glucose and it's going a little bit too high, or maybe it's even going a little bit too low, that can be an early warning sign that something in our metabolism is off, right? And that's when we're looking at prevention, that's what we're looking for is those little yellow flags. Hey, look over here, something is not right. That's what we're looking for. But when we are in this reactive versus preventative health space, we're missing all of those little yellow flags. Because if you think about how we measure health, we're going to our doctor once a year, maybe if we're on top of it. So we can miss those little nuances or those little things that start to add up over the years. 
um, that tell us that our met metabolic health isn't where it should be. So our body keeps glucose in a really tightly controlled range. And that's for homeostasis, right? It works really hard to keep it controlled. So when we're outside of those ranges, that's a sign, hey, there's something that we can do here to optimize this and prevent issues in the future. And that's where the CGM comes in and, and kind of monitoring all of this can give us the right insights. Right. And I, I've had uh, Emily Cornelius on the show. She's a insulin resistance expert. And uh, we talk, we're saying that when you when people come to the doctor and they, they're diagnosed with being type 2 diabetic, right? Type 1, we know it's a different animal. But you're type 2 diabetic. You weren't type 2 diabetic that day or that week or even that year. You were insulin resistant, pre-diabetic, and then type 2 diabetic. It's so many yellow flags like all the way down there. And one of the biggest signs that you, not the only sign, but one of the biggest signs that you're insulin resistant is if you're overweight, if you have belly fat. That's just, that's a 10 tail type because what, what stores that um, um, glycogen in your fat cells? Insulin right? Which leads to insulin resistance. So I, I don't have stats to back this up. I haven't, I haven't found any stats to back this up, but I 100% believe that most people, if not everyone who's overweight is insulin resistant because you, or at least on your path to being insulin resistant, because your body has to produce a lot of insulin to be able to store that, um, to basically storing those fat cells, right? So that's not something to gloss over, be like, oh, it's just, I'm 50. It's just normal to have a to have a waist, ha, ha, ha. no, that's not funny because then later on when you're type two diabetic or whatever situation is or whatever other health problems can come up, because we know with extra sugars and chronic inflammation and all this stuff that we could talk about, all these things that could really happen, it's not funny. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's something that we really have to consider. And you, thank you so much for that. And that leads into my next question that you pretty already much answered, but I want to see if you have something to add to it. Why do we need to monitor glucose? And what can monitoring or what monitoring our glucose, what can that tell us? Sorry, I kind of lost my words there. No, you're good. And I, I yeah, I want to touch on one thing that you said first, though, is that, yeah, you don't wake up with insulin resistance. You don't wake up with type two diabetes. So when I say the power is your, in your hands, I, I mean that literally, right? Insulin resistance, which is the root of or the start of diabetes, type two diabetes, that's a spectrum, not a destination. You're not going to have normal insulin um, levels, normal glucose metabolism one day, and then insulin resistance the next day, right? It's this spectrum that we need to catch early. So um, that's one thing to, to touch on. And that's where I think monitoring glucose can be the best proxy because there are no insulin monitors that are continuous, right? You can measure insulin um, if you have a really good doctor and they want to do like a, an insulin, a fasting insulin test. But other than that, we are not measuring insulin. So glucose is going to be our best proxy for how our insulin is functioning in our bodies. So this is important for individuals with diabetes, 100%. We believe that everyone with type two diabetes and type one should have access to a continuous glucose monitor or CGM. But the real question is, why is that important for individuals without type 2 diabetes? Is that something that we should be prioritizing? And I think there are a couple buckets that I like to look at when I'm thinking of why this is so important. And the first kind of stems from what we've already been talking about. These, these things that we're talking about, this high glucose, this is not something that's abnormal. This is very, very common. So there's been some studies that show that 96% of people reach those levels above normal glucose metabolism 
pretty regularly in their glucose, right? So it's not something that's just happening to a small subset of people. This is happening to almost everyone. And I see this in looking at uh, members' data all the time. Not yours. We, we, we talked about how your glucose looks really, really good. So I just want to throw that out, throw a plug out. Yours looks amazing. I'm a Superman, um, people. Everybody know I'm Superman. I even, I'm even wearing the Superman <laughs> shirt right now doing this interview. Too bad it's not video, but I have to throw that out there. Well, go ahead, Carly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what I will say is like, I have spiked above normal glucose values and I'm a very healthy person. I prioritize my health. I exercise regularly. I sleep well. I manage my stress, right? But we are living in this food system that has set us up for failure, right? We're living in a food system where we're surrounded by foods that are highly processed. We're surrounded by foods that weren't meant for optimal glucose control, right? So I think that's a, a barrier that um, we're constantly berated with every single day. And that's something we have to take into account. So even if you are not someone that has diabetes or pre-diabetes, we are all living in the same environments. And so monitoring your glucose can tell you which of those foods are working for you and which of those are not. So when we think about glucose, right? It's common. We know that high glucose values are common, but we also know that when we are having those high glucose values, that can lead us to feel really cruddy in the short term. So this is the thing that I think hooks everyone into monitoring their glucose, because once you start to recognize this connection, that makes it really fun to continue monitoring, right? So when we have these high glucose fluctuations, when we have big glucose shifts or spikes, which again, a lot of us are having those, this can lead us to feel really terrible in the moment. It's these large glucose fluctuations and these subsequent subsequent crashes that cause us to have cravings later in the day that cause us to feel really, really low energy, that mid afternoon slump that sometimes we feel, or if we have what's called postprandial fatigue. So if you're feeling really tired after your meals, a lot of times that's because your glucose is fluctuating all over the place. And again, that's not something you can monitor unless you have a continuous glucose meter. So when we put this CGM on the back of our arm, it's going to measure our glucose in 15 minute increments, 24 hours a day for 14 full days. So if you have ever gone to your doctor's office and you get your annual labs, right? They're usually going to test your glucose. So they'll do a finger prick. So that's a point in time that you're seeing your glucose, but that's not telling you how it's shifting all day long. In order to get that, you either have to prick your finger once every 15 minutes to get that reading and then kind of plot it on a graph to see what that would look like which we all know is not realistic, or you have to see it in that continuous data. And when you start to see that, when you start to see what your glucose is doing overnight, when you start to see how it's responding to your meals, that's when you can start to identify which habits are working for you, which ones are producing really good glucose values, and which ones are causing really, really high values. And that's the only way to identify the habits that you need to tweak that would have the biggest bang for your buck when it comes to your energy or just how you're feeling throughout the day. We know that, you know, glucose is really important to prevent disease, but as humans, we're not usually motivated by long-term side effects, right? We're not going to say, well, I'm monitoring my glucose because I want to prevent diabetes. Maybe you do, but that's not motivating. That's not sexy in the moment. But when you can start to see that, wow, this glucose shift makes me feel really cruddy throughout the day, then that's empowering. That's that real-time data to actually make that change and make that habit stick and I think it's that combination of seeing it in real time and then correlating it with how you feel. That's going to be the most meaningful change uh, that we can all benefit from. 
And I definitely agree. You you didn't mention sleep though. And I want to talk about that because that was the biggest thing for me. Because even even if I'm a crazy person and I'm like, I'm gonna prick my finger every 15 minutes for the entire day, I don't think you can do that while you're sleeping. I think that would be pretty challenging. And the first time I wore it, just seeing my sleep stats the next day of when my blood sugar pick up, when my blood sugar drop, and even seeing that as it get closer to waking hours is when my blood sugar would start to tick up. And then we also got to consider the dawn phenomenon, right? So that can help you. To, instead of having to get up in the middle of the night and prick your finger, this is what your blood, blood glucose is doing. You can see if it's spiking to abnormal, abnormal levels. Sorry about it. I'm smart. I swear I am. I just, you know. The Jamaican accent get in the way sometimes. <laughs> anyway, so you will see if it sparks above um above normal levels, right? And that's something you can then that can spark a conversation with your doctor or your dietitian as well. So that's something it's just a huge thing. Another uh let's talk about a short-term effect. Cause you said we're not motivated by the long term. Well, most of us, if you unless you're crazy like myself, right? So I I promote eating blueberries or uh, a complex carb before bed right and and i and i do that i say that especially if you're on a low carb diet because you want to give your brain a little bit of glucose before you go to bed and unless you're in ketosis your brain is going to need some of that glucose but something interesting to know and from this is my personal research if I gorge on carbs the night before and give my body way more glucose than it needs, and the next morning I'm still running on glucose, I feel like crap. My brain doesn't function. I have brain fog. I'm tired. I've tried this many times. Not many times. I've tried it a few times. And I feel like crap. But if I give my body just the right amount, just like a handful of blueberries or something the night before, just so my brain has enough to go, oh, and just relax... The next morning, I feel amazing. And my audience knows I also use lumen. So I'll blow into it and it'll tell me my body's primary burning fat or carbs. And usually when I'm running on a one or a two, which I'm primarily burning fat, mentally, I'm so much sharper and I function so much better and I get a lot more done in the day. And there's inflammation, all this stuff we can talk about. It all plays a part in that. But so just you you label everything really, really well. I just want to add those two factors to why you should be monitoring your um your blood glucose. Yes, I love that you brought that up. So there's essentially no way to assess your fasting or your overnight values over a period of time unless you've got that CGM on. That's the only way that it's tracking while you're sleeping, while you're doing all of your normal activities. So when we look at the influencers of glucose, and we kind of chatted about this before the, the we started, is that you know we always think that food is the only influencer of glucose, right? But you did a great job of mentioning, no, there's other factors there. So I always think of them as four pillars of glucose control or like how, things that are going to influence your glucose. And that's food, of course. And so that's meal timing, meal composition, um, kind of your fasting and your eating window. Those are all included in that exercise, which we all know that's how you're utilizing that glucose as energy, but also stress and sleep. And I think of those as literally four pillars, kind of, if you think about, um, a table, right? Those are the pillars that are holding up that table. And if one of those is off, the whole structure could fall down. So, so often we can neglect our sleep because we don't, see those impacts, right? We know we're not getting enough sleep, but it's not affecting our everyday life or we don't think it is. So we can put that off. We don't need to prioritize that. Same with stress. If we're not managing stress, but it's building up, that's easier to put off. 
So we always think, well, we can control our diet, we can control our exercise, but sleep and stress are just as important for our metabolic health. And just one night of poor sleep can impact how our glucose responds to our meals the whole next day. And that's kind of a reverse relationship as well. If we have a high glucose value right before bed, that can impact how we sleep. So you mentioned this, if you eat too many carbs before bed, that can impact your sleep quality. Um, and we see that a lot, right? So our insulin sensitivity or how well we're responding to foods is closely linked to our circadian rhythm. And that means that when you know our insulin sensitivity is high, middle of the day, that's when our circadian rhythm is like in that um, active state. And then further on into the day, our insulin sensitivity kind of wades. So that means that if we eat something earlier in the day, we might have a really good response to it. But if we eat that same portion of that carbohydrate food later in the day, we might have a big spike, a really poor response to the meal and then poor sleep after that. So sometimes we can use that information to fine tune what hours you eat and which hours you're fasting to improve your sleep and just help you feel better throughout the day. But sounds like you've kind of um, titrated your carbohydrate. You kind of found the perfect amount and the perfect types of carbs that help kind of regulate that. I'm I'm a nerd. I'm the I'm the very definition of a nerd. So <laughs> I think all biohackers are really nerds. So, oh, yeah. but um, definitely so. And with that being said, let's talk about glucose and weight management, right? Because that's even a more of a thing of now. Because you know how many of us are overweight in the U.S. I think it's over seventy percent. I should even know this, but yeah. most of us are overweight, right? So how can monitoring our glucose help with weight management? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of different things that we could say when it comes to weight and glucose management. But I think one of the first things that I always like to touch on is that our current model for weight management, right? That calories in calories out model nonsense. is a bit outdated. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to be nice about it, but it's nonsense. Uh, so when we think about that, right, we've all been told that that very blanket statement, oh, it just eat less than you exercise, right? Like eat less, fewer calories than you burn, which sure that works great for individuals that have a perfectly working metabolism, right? Um, but as we've talked about, if you have any insulin resistance or if you're not metabolically healthy, which is 88% of us, then that statement is not true. So calories in calories out might help for 12% of the population. Cool. But not the majority, right? So we're oversimplifying this really complicated system that is our body. So I think if we take a step back and we look at it from a more holistic view, we have to take our hormones into account and insulin, right? The hormone that is um, responsible for taking glucose out of our blood and moving it into the cells to be utilized or stored. That's a huge thing to consider when it comes to weight management, right? So remember insulin is going to take that glucose from the foods that we eat out of the blood into the cells. And if we can use it, right, we'll use it um, to fuel our movements or to kind of keep our metabolic substrates going smoothly throughout the day. But if we have excess, if we have more glucose than we need, insulin is that storage hormone. So it's going to store any excess as fat, right? And I always think of this as um, glucose is going to be your wallet, right? So when you have a lot of glucose, you're putting that into your wallet. Fats right? If we're losing weight or that's our goal, we want to tap into fat storage, but we can think of that as our bank account, right? So our bodies are always going to want to do the easy thing. And that is tapping into the wallet, right? If you think about, you know, if you need money, you're going to go to your wallet way before you make the effort to go to the bank. 
So if we always have money or glucose in our wallets, there is no reason for our body to tap into fat, that fat storage, right? So we have to essentially burn through our wallet stores and able or for us to enable tapping into that fat for storage, right? So I think that's one thing that glucose can be really helpful for, because if you always have high glucose, if you are always in that fed state and you're never allowing glucose to return back down to baseline, um, you're never able to tap into your fat storage. And this becomes really hard if you do have insulin resistance, because this whole process gets over, uh, overcomplicated, a little bit more tricky for your body to tap into. But some things that might prevent your body from getting out of that fed state and tapping into fat storage, you're grazing all the time, right? If you're always putting glucose into your body and never allowing your body to rest and digest in between and for glucose to return back down to baseline, you may never tap into fat storage. Same sort of thing if you're eating too many carbohydrates for your body, then you're not able to burn through those and then ultimately tap into your fat storage. So I always think of that. We want to deplete our wallet before we tap into the bank account. So um, that's where glucose can be really helpful because we can guess that, right? We can kind of guess how many carbs we need or if we're burning through as much glucose as we're putting in. But unless you are monitoring that, there is ultimately no way to know for sure um, whether you're accomplishing that. That's true. And he just hit on a lot of fantastic things that made me think of a question that I didn't have prepared. So if it doesn't work, I'll just edit it out of the show or something. I kind of do what I want. But, okay. <laughs> but seriously, let's talk about being hangry, right? Yes. Because I have had this discussion with a lot of my friends. Like I go to the grocery store and I haven't eaten. Like I fast. Sometimes I do a 24 hours. Sometimes I do 14, 16, whatever. And my body as well is fat adapted. And I can yeah. go to the grocery store, do my thing, get my food, go home, die normal, no problems. I'm all good. But I've had, I heard, I've been hearing this all my life, and I still hear it now. People say I can't go to the grocery store when I'm hungry because I'm hangry, or I'm gonna want to buy everything and do that. So tie that into blood sugar control. Yes. Well, this is a great question, and this is something we see all the time. So this comes back kind of to those larger glucose shifts, right? So if you're having a large glucose shift, so take this a step back, right? What we want to see in our glucose is if we eat a meal that has carbohydrates, we want a small shift in glucose. And then we want insulin to do its job and bring glucose back down to baseline really quickly, a small shift, a really, really nice, beautiful, soft curve down to baseline within two to three hours. But if we are eating foods that we are not designed to process in that time frame, so think really processed carbs. Um, for me, what I'm trying to think of something that this happened to, but if I have like, even like a Subway sandwich with chips, right. Which is a normal meal for some Americans or whatever, right. That might be too many processed carbs for your body. So you have this larger shift. And what happens when you have this big shift is your body says, I have to bring glucose back down to that homeostatic range really, really quickly. So it's going to produce insulin. It's going to release that insulin to bring glucose down really quickly. And it's those larger shifts, right? Those big spikes, those big returns to back down to baseline that can result in that feeling of hanger, right? You are having this like blood sugar roller coaster that you're riding on, and that can cause your hunger hormones to feel out of whack. That can cause you to feel out of control with your cravings. And that's where we see this hanger come into play. And then also, like you had mentioned, if you are never, take it back to that wallet um, bank account, if you're never tapping into your fat storage, your body's not going to know how to survive without being in that fed state. 
So it's always going to tell you that you need glucose available all the time. You always need to be in that fed state or else it's going to tell you that your blood sugar is a little bit too low and that's going to make you feel that hanger, right? So we can mitigate that by eating whole foods, basing um, you know, our diet on protein and eating that portion first and producing those smaller shifts in glucose without that big crash. And that way we have more control over our glucose and we can start to utilize fat as fuel a little bit more efficiently. And to add to that, I tell all my clients and I force them to, to eat vegetables with every meal. I don't even care if it's breakfast, eat vegetables with every single meal. And they'll get mad and they'll yell at me and they're like, I can't figure it out. I said, well, I'm going to write down the five vegetables you're going to eat and you're going to eat vegetables with every meal. I don't play with that because yeah. that's such a vital part. And it's not just for fiber, right? It's also the benefits that you get from plant foods that we need. I, I'm, I'm an omnivore, but I'm more carnivore based. You can probably tell that from my numbers, but um, I eat, I wouldn't say, I would say, I would say about at least 80% of my meal, I have plant foods, at least 80%, if not more. My meal after this, I'm going out to eat. I'm not going to say where, because I don't want to promote anywhere, but I'm going to get um, a half a chicken and I'm going to get some uh, broccoli and some cream spinach. And I eat vegetables at every single meal. That's a very important thing. Now, the fat kind of comes along with it, unless you're eating lean chicken or whatever. So it kind of right. goes along with the whole process. And the next thing, too, that I really want to bring up is, can we talk about enzymes a little bit? I'm not going to geek out about enzymes too much, but that's really important. If you're eating, a, first of all, humans are, as, um, are born with more amylase than any other mammal on the face of the planet. So we should be naturally be able to break down carbs. And if you eat a high carb diet all the time our bodies are lazy and our bodies are going to say you know what you're not feeding me that much fat why do i need lipase why do i have to really worry about it? it's going to start to down regulate just like if you go on a high fat diet for a super long time and then you and then your body's going to like keto eventually your body says you know what let me down late down um down down regulate amylase right because our bodies are kind of lazy it's like it's only going to do what you ask for it to do and, and that takes time to switch back and forth. Now, that's important to understand because then later on, when we start to introduce fats back into our diet or carbs back into our diet, our bodies struggle. And when our bodies struggle, that also impacts our blood glucose, right? Yeah. Now, eating about three balanced meals a day, at least, where you're getting fat, protein, fiber, and then I recommend your carbs afterward, waiting at least 10 minutes to kind of get your body some time to kind of, you know, realize if you actually even need the dessert, because you'd be surprised 15 minutes later, you're like, yeah. like you ever been out to a restaurant? Sure, you've been to restaurants and you yeah. order a piece of cake. And then by the time the cake comes, you're like, I can't eat another bite. I'm not full. <laughs> right. Because by then your, your body has gotten the signal that, hey, what's what's the hormone I'm looking for? Um, not ghrelin, but the other one. That, yes, leptin a signal to your brain that, hey, you're full, right? Mm -hmm. so, and it takes it takes time, around, I believe, 10 to 15 minutes to do so. So you just give that little waiting period in between, and then you can eat some carbs. But you mentioned one quick thing, one really huge thing, too, among all the great things that you said, is the snacking thing. Because you're snacking, especially you're mm -hmm. snacking on, like, carbs with nothing in, nothing to really buffer, no fiber, it's processed. That goes straight to your blood. That goes straight to your to your body saying, I need more insulin. Your pancreas is being like, what are you doing to me, man? Come on. You know, now I got to pump out some more insulin, make me work harder than I'm supposed to. You know, all these things happen, right? So 
they're wearing a CGM and working with an expert, even if it's for a short period of time, even if you're not yet diabetic, can be so can give you can have so many rewards for your life. So, so many. And I love that you said that about breakfast. I 100% agree. I'm not a breakfast person. So I think, first of all, the American breakfast has set us up for failure, right? Yes. So taking, tying this into amylase, right? If we think about carbohydrates, I just want to say first that all carbohydrate foods are not bad foods. Carbohydrates are energy. Carbohydrates are fiber. Carbohydrates are good foods. They are just, uh, there's a big spectrum of what a carbohydrate food is. So if we think about the traditional American breakfast food, think pancakes, bread, uh, waffles, syrup, right? Juice. All of those things are full of easily digestible carbohydrates. So they're either in liquid form, as in like the juice, maple syrup, or they're what we call acellular. So they're processed so that they don't have cell walls. And when that happens, those enzymes, right, amylase, that digestion starts in our mouth, right? That's when carbohydrate digestion starts. So by the time that food is into our stomach, that's usually already causing a bigger glucose spike because we're able to easily and quickly digest it and turn it into glucose. And this is important if your blood sugar is super low, right? If you are diabetic, an individual with diabetes, then you might need that quick burst of blood sugar, right? You might need that to keep your glucose stable if it drops too low. There is a reason that we recommend juice when we have low blood sugar because it shoots it up quicker than anything. And that's because it is broken down really quickly. But other carbohydrate foods, like you mentioned veggies and, you know, like sweet potatoes, like really dense whole food carbohydrates, those take work, right? That's fiber, that's nutrients, that's a lot of things all in one package. So instead of this quick spike in blood sugar that we're going to get from those highly processed foods, this is going to take a lot longer. So if you're having those foods with your breakfast, the veggies combined with protein and fats, then you're going to have a slower, more steady glucose curve. And that's going to keep your body feeling really good, keep your energy levels feeling really good for longer periods of time. And then just like you mentioned, if you have, if you want a dessert, if you want something sweet, a carbohydrate food that is a little bit more processed, you can time it out after your protein, after your veggies and your fats to have a better, more stable response because that's going to buffer it just a little bit. Then you probably eat less. If you eat the cake first, you probably eat like half a half a thing of cake, but you wait later and be like, oh, I'm full. I can only eat so much, right? So you're doing your body a world of favors. You want to fill up with your protein and your fiber and your healthy fats first, and then you know, anything else just to kind of have that satisfaction, right? Because we are, again, living in this environment where we can't escape those foods. It's not like you can never have a piece of cake again, but there are ways to incorporate it into your diet to have it produce a much better impact, right? So have those foods first, have that in moderation, and then time it earlier in the day when you're more likely to respond better to it. Yep, I agree. And um, oh, one more thing about those processed foods, too. They're robbed of a lot more nutrients than just fiber. Just everybody know that. 100%. I'm really interested in this question, right? What are the, what were you, I should say, what are your biggest takeaways that you have learned from looking at glucose data? And what were your biggest surprises or should I say like aha moments? Ooh, I love this question because this has been such a learning journey for me. And I think the first and most important thing that I want everyone to know is that there is no one size fits all diet. So if anyone tells you that, they are looking at it too simplistically. Because what I've seen after looking at thousands of people's data 
is that we don't respond the same to the same food. So is there, there is no universally good for you food. Um, a really good example of this is sweet potatoes, right? We, I think most people would agree that sweet potatoes are a pretty healthy food. I respond really well to sweet potatoes, as long as I'm combining them with protein and fiber and fat, right? But um, a coworker that I work with had the same amount of sweet potatoes as I did. We ate together. She's also healthy. She also lifts weights. So she's doing a lot of the same like activities that I do. Massive spike in glucose, right? So one thing to consider with CGMs is that we are all going to have different responses to the exact same foods. And that's for a, a lot of different reasons. So the first one is gender, right? Um, women seem to be more carbohydrate sensitive. And a lot of that is related to the fact that we have less muscle mass. So when we talk about glucose, um, we have a lot of storage spaces for glucose in our muscles. So the more muscle mass you have, usually the better you can respond to carbohydrates or the more carbohydrates you can allow yourself in one meal because you have more storage space for that glucose to go. So women typically have a little bit less muscle, and that means we have smaller you know, carbohydrate tolerances. So that just, you know, tells me and has told me a lot that resistance training, weightlifting is so, so important for females just to kind of help your body respond well to those types of foods and have more glucose storage space available. Um, the other one, which I think this is really interesting, is your microbiome composition. So we all have different microbiomes, different uh, bacteria compositions in the gut, and that can influence how you respond to different foods. So again, you might respond really well to blueberries, but maybe I have a larger response. And that could be because of our different microbiome compositions. And that's not something you're ever going to know unless you test for yourself. So that's the cool thing I think about what I do is like, I'm really just encouraging people to be their own you know, scientists, be an experimenter, you know, try different things and get curious with your body. Because I think what we can fall prey to are these prescriptive diets that tell us this is the right way to eat for everyone. And that's simply not true. Now, there are some universal truths, right? Uh, we know that eating late at night can produce higher responses. We know that those processed carbohydrates can have huge spikes, but there are some universal truths um, that you know, those things we can all learn from, which we can get into in the hack section. But um, I think the other thing, other than sleep and stress being as big of a, a factor as, as we know, um, the timing of your meals matters. So just like we mentioned with grazing, if you're eating all the time, that can be one of the hardest things for your body to process. So we want adequate time in between our meals, but then also limiting late, late night eating, especially late night eating of processed carbohydrate foods. So um, that's, I think, one thing that's been a really big aha moment for me is that the timing in which you eat matters just as much as what you eat. Yep, exactly. That's why the one size fits all just doesn't fit. And when people are hangry or have cravings or, you know, just to have low energy it, a, a lot of it really comes down to your body's ability to manage glucose and once you learn and and once you, once you figure it out and you reach an aha moment and you start to make those small changes and your blood sugar starts to stabilize it transforms your whole life i'm talking about productivity level how you sleep i mean it's just so many things that it can really help you with and i'm not making this up like you know i know a lot of biohackers in my community, we know that's why a lot of biohackers, we're CGM, even though we're not even diabetic, because we're trying to make sure that we we see what's going on and we can control it. And you can learn so much about your body. So, so and we, much. 
and you introduce it. We're at the hack. So let's go ahead and lay it on me. What glucose hacks can we apply to our daily lives? Okay. So I could probably list off about 20, but I'll try and keep it short. I'll try and keep it to a couple. Uh, I think we already touched on some really important things, right? So um, always have your protein first, make sure you have your fiber with it. So before you have anything sweet or anything high in carbohydrates, try and have those two components first. But the other thing I would add to that is how you break your fast, whether that's a long fast or your fast in the morning, the first thing you eat matters. So if you are breaking a fast with carbohydrate foods, you're going to have a larger shift in glucose. And that's almost a universal truth, right? So we are more sensitive to carbohydrate foods when we are breaking a fast or when it's on an empty stomach. So we can really set the tone for our day, right? If you're breaking your fast and having a huge glucose spike, we now know that, um, you know, those big glucose spikes can lead to riding that blood sugar roller coaster, cravings, hanger all day long. So break your fast with something that's going to produce a better, more stable glucose curve. So protein, fiber, uh, if you do have carbs, maybe time them a little bit later after that, break your fast appropriately. So that's number one. Um, the other thing that I would say, and this is probably something that everyone says, but eat whole foods whenever possible. The closer the food is to its original source, the better it's going to be for your glucose. So the more processed it is, typically the quicker we'll, we'll digest it, the quicker it will turn into glucose in your body. So aim for whole foods, um, keep those as kind of the basics of your diet. And then if you do have something that's not as whole food or is more processed, like we talked about, time that after that meal so that you're going to have a more stable glucose curve and it's not going to cause as big of a spike. The other thing, and I guess I'll, I'll make this my last one, but, um, the other thing I would say is time your higher carbohydrate foods around exercise if you can. So just like we talked about, our muscle is a huge sink for glucose. So whenever we're utilizing that muscle, we're going to utilize that glucose and produce a more stable glucose curve, which helps us feel better. And again, can help us prevent those chronic diseases later on. So whenever you are eating a higher carb meal or whenever you include carbohydrates, try and go for a walk afterwards. Even just like a five to 10 minute walk can really, really help blunt a spike. But also, especially for women, especially for people as we age, resistance training. So if you can time some resistance training, some weights before your meal, you're usually going to have a better glucose response. Definitely. And the trainer in me has to, has to talk about that part. So, and always, I've talked about Zoom Hey, the dog is making an appearance, everybody. Look at that. What's his name? Loki. Loki. Wait, it's a he. What's oh, a he? Yeah. Okay, I guessed it. I guessed it right. There we go. Hey, Loki. All right. So we just made it interesting because you know that's how we roll here on the Matter Over Mind experience. So we're all good. So with that being said, let's talk about the training. So I've talked about zone one and zone two so many times on my show. Right? Zone one, zone two. Is and you can listen to that episode that short that actually broke down all the details. But if you train in zone one or zone two, then you're more likely in a fat burning state. If you train in a zone three, zone four, then you're training in a higher, more of a glucose type of state, right? So it, we, even when it with time with carb cycling and timing or simple carbs, you want to eat them before that zone three, zone four workout. That is the best time because your body will burn it off a lot better. Yes. Walking afterwards, that's more for zone one, zone two. That's still beneficial. Walking post anything you eat, 
it's going to aid your digestion. So that's still good. But if you really want to be optimal with it, you want to eat it before an intense workout. But at the same time, you don't want to fall into the habit where you have to eat a whole bunch of carbs before every intense workout. You don't want to do that either. However, if you want to time it, that would be the best time to time it to be more optimal going forward, right? But of course, be managing your cars, medium to low, all that stuff. We talked about all that stuff already. And that's the episode, everybody. That's awesome. I know you love it. I love it. I definitely want to have Carly back and talk about more stuff later on in the year. And of course, I have a gift for you. You, The link to uh, NutriSense will be in the show notes and in the description of this episode where you can click on it and also get discounts on their services. You know I wasn't going to leave you hanging. You know I wasn't going to leave you hanging. I have to make sure I have, every, I have something for you. So yes, again, the uh, the link is going to be in the show notes and also in the description of this episode. And the show notes are going to be, I think everybody can guess it, zikahealth.com slash NutriSense. Nice and easy. And of course, the show notes will also be in the description of the episode. So you know how I roll. And with that being said, you're probably tired of my voice. I'm tired of my voice and Carly's probably tired of my voice. So let's get out of here. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.